What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all. As always, we've got an exciting slate coming up this week. Um, On Saturday, we've got some big games, and we've got some big games, um, interesting games during the midweek. Um, One no, this time of year, usually we get some good early season midweek games, but because of how things have shifted this year, haven't gotten that as much. Uh, we're starting to ramp up some of these midweek games. Um, ACC Network Thursday Night Lacrosse gets underway this week as well. Um, that is great to see. Um, we're going to get into the three big Midweek games, uh, we're going to preview those today. Duke versus High Point on Wednesday. Virginia and Carolina on Thursday. And then I guess this one's not a midweek game, but Syracuse and Stony Brook on Friday. So we're going to preview those three games today. And then on uh, Thursdays, no big weekend preview show, we'll get into, um, you know, Denver, Georgetown, um, Vermont, Albany, those games, uh, some of the big ones coming up this weekend. Um, but we will do in-depth previews of the three big ones midweek today. Um, in addition to those three, Bellarmine, VMI tomorrow, Fairfield, Lafayette on Wednesday. Also, uh, we did have Wagner and St. Joseph's today. Um, St. Joseph's won that one, uh, 17 to five. And then on Sunday, uh, remember we did have some games there and, uh, you know, Villanova beats Providence 11 to eight Bucknell handles Cleveland state and their opener 15 to nine, uh, looks pretty good there. Uh, Tommy, uh, Sapoko, um, played a very good game. You know, maybe he is going to take over for that Will York. Uh, spot with him transferring out to Notre Dame for uh, a fifth year. And then, and the one that we thought was going to be like the big one, um, no, Richmond was not able to hold um, Duke to a one goal game this time around. Uh, Duke gets the 13 to 6 win uh, fairly easily down the stretch. Um, it's kind of, I mean, this was a similar game to what a lot of Richmond has been all year. Um, and what they've been for a while, which is like, they are like, and and of course Duke's the most talented team they've played outside of, uh, Duke and Carolina, both are the most talented teams they've played this season. And they beat Towson and they lost to Loyola by one. Um, I believe that was an overtime game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, was overtime game. So, um, Richmond, decent season thus far. None of those losses, I would say, are bad losses that they've had. And they're heading into um, conference play uh, this weekend uh, at VMI. So that's a very winnable game. Uh, so, you know, they have a shot to prove themselves. They also have Virginia uh, down the road in early April as well. Um, so Duke, 13-6, to no shame in losing to the Blue Devils. Um, the way they did, um, they're a juggernaut. But before we get to uh, previewing some of these games coming up midweek, the three I mentioned, 
UNC High Point. Oh, excuse me, Duke High Point, UNC, UVA, Q's, and Stony Brook. Uh, I do want to talk a little NCAA tournament. We all know the NCAA tournament for basketball is coming up soon. Selection Sunday is this Sunday. I'm excited. I know everybody um, is excited. Obviously, we didn't get a tournament last year. That's going to be great to see. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of the first step in like, okay, we're fully back. We're fully back to doing things how we usually do. Um, obviously, that's going to be in a bubble. And there's some different um, – I don't know if it's a bubble because they're going to have some fans, but it's um, it's it's limited, obviously. And it's all up in uh, Indianapolis um, up there in uh, Indiana, uh, with, like multiple gyms they're using and stuff. So um, we know what basketball is doing. We know what they did with football. Um, and a big question now – you know, I would assume baseball would probably still be the same because um, they have the finals. What is it in fucking Omaha, Nebraska, um, where they have the finals? So I would assume that's going to be the same. Um, the big question that I think a lot of people have spring wise is what's the NCAA lacrosse tournament going to look like? And obviously, this is a lacrosse podcast. We care about that very, very much. Um, and U.S. lacrosse, uh, Patrick Stevens, uh, who, who does a great job covering the you know, bracketology and all of that for uh, U.S. lacrosse, uh, actually did an interview with uh, the head of the selection committee. Um, yeah, the selection committee this year, which is Tim Leonard, uh, who's also the uh, AD at Towson. Um, never understood why they have ADs. Like lead these things, but whatever. Um, so he did an interview with him, and it came out last Thursday. Um, if you did not read it, I will link it into the in the description. Essentially, um, the headline is everything is flexible at this point. Like, uh, yes, we we understand that. Um, now the he in the interview um, I'm not gonna read any from it but you again I'll link it in the description in the show notes uh, so y'all can go uh, check that out uh, good stuff as always uh, but in the interview you know he does um, you know address um, some of the kind of questions surrounding this year's tournament um, number one I think being uh, I would assume this is the most pressing issue is like what are things going to look like without the Ivy? Because remember, they have that automatic uh, bid. They have the auto bid. So that's gone. I think basketball, and I might be wrong on this, but I think basketball just added another at-large. So I would assume that's what lacrosse does, uh, but he does lay out some um, very, some different... There's different scenarios laid out in the article. One being to get rid of the play-in game um, and get rid of the play-in game because you no longer need that with another conference out. Um, so, um, and I would assume with that one, wouldn't the first, the number one seed get a buy? I would assume um, with that one um, is it, kind of what would happen. 
um, it just kind of thinking, thinking through it right here. Um, so that's obviously a big issue. I would assume that's the biggest issue that we're going to have to deal with, um, here. And then, um, you know, they do address, um, some of the issues around like fan attendance and things of that nature and, you know, how, um, you know, playing during this time or whatever. Um, and kind of my, my, my take on that, and I assume this is what they're going to do is proceed as normal until you can't. So essentially things are going to be normal 100% until you are forced to make a change is what I would assume they do. Um, Right now, the the obviously the first round is at the host sites. Um, or is that the uh, like the seeded teams, the highest seed host um, that game in the first round? The quarterfinals are at Hofstra and Notre Dame. The championship weekends, so semifinals and championship game, are at. Uh, Rensselaer Field, um, which is in Hartford, Connecticut. It's where UConn plays football. It's where the quarterfinals were two years ago now, 2019. Uh, if you remember, I think Loyola played Penn State. And then I can't remember the other team that played there. Um, Loyola played Penn State. Oh, Yale played Penn. Yale played Penn. Well, those two games took place uh Rensselaer Field. Um, UConn's home for football is where uh, the quarterfinals will be. Uh, excuse me, where the championship weekend will be. So semifinals and title game. And that is a two-year thing. So I think they'll be there this year and 2022 as well. And then I can't remember what it moves to after that. Might be back to... Uh, I think it's back to uh, New England, the Patriots, uh, Gillette Stadium. I think it's back up there. Um, and then I think it goes back to Philly um, like two years after that or might be vice versa. But um, it is at UConn this year, um, which is funny. Like if you've, ever, if you've ever been to Connecticut, like UConn's campus is like an hour <laughs> away from the football stadium. Uh, stores is not even uh, – it, it, I mean, it's close, but it, – Hartford and stores, two completely different areas. Stores, you got like freaking cows sitting on the side of the road. Hartford is obviously a metropolitan area. Um, so that is where the championship weekend will be this year. Um, it should be an exciting one. And um, obviously, I, I think it will be much appreciated by everyone considering what happened last year, um, just like this whole season is you no know, much appreciated by everyone and and everyone's taking uh you no know, not taking any lacrosse for granted everyone wants to play as many games as possible because we didn't get enough games in last year um you know with the tournament sites um you know it, it is a, a a a good sign um i so if y'all have not seen this Texas is 100% open. Mississippi is 100% open. Great signs there. Fantastic signs. 
Uh, both those states are 100% open. You have Connecticut that is like, I would call it 95% open because like they lifted the restaurant restriction and some other restrictions, but the mask mandate is still in place. Um, you know, I would assume that means we can pack um, Lentzville Field for the uh, championship weekend. Like, pack it, take your freaking mask off, pack the stadium. That's how we're going to end May. Um, and obviously a lot of positive momentum. And obviously not every state is there yet. Uh, but for Connecticut to be able to do that, um, to say kind of like, hey, we're open for business besides the mask mandate for, you know, Texas and Mississippi. And I think there's multiple other states that have done this now as well. Say, hey, we're 100% open. Enough's enough. We're going back to business. I think that's fantastic news for lacrosse going forward. Uh, We are seeing um, Syracuse let fans in the Dome last week, um, albeit a limited amount of students, but they're letting fans back. I think it was Providence I saw has um, a new fan policy they've been putting out, and I've seen multiple schools do this. So everything is heading in the right direction for by the end of the lacrosse season, things will be 100% normal. Um, might not be that everywhere, but at least will be that most places. So that is fantastic to hear. Now, I had some people after this article came out, and and I think I shared it on Twitter or whatever, um, you know, kind of asked me, like, if they were going to do a bubble, where would you do it? Or if they were going to move locations, where would you do it? Um, And obviously, they'd have to be uh, field accessibility, for not only to play, but practices, um, enough hotels, and, and all of that. Um, that's why they're having women's basketball tournament in San Antonio, men's in, up in Indianapolis. If they were going to do a bubble-ish environment, which I don't think is going to happen, I think we'll be back 100% normal. Um, I would imagine, and I would like to see it done, in Florida because one, you have some lacrosse facilities down there. Um, You know, I don't know what Jacksonville has. Um, No, Jacksonville does have a men's team, does have a women's team. Uh, You could do a men's tournament there. Um, And look, lacrosse is a smaller tournament than any others, than any other uh, sport, so that also helps. You could do the entire tournament, um, you know, there at the stadium where the Jacksonville Jaguars play. Use Jacksonville University, and um, there's some other schools like in that North Florida area that you could also use that do have men's lacrosse um, that you could also use as practice facilities. You could use some high schools as well. Um, so I think that would be, like, number one for me. Um, number two, I would – there's not really any 
college programs in this state, which is why it'd be number two, but go to Texas um, and try to do something there in Dallas or wherever. Um, you know, we, SMU has hosted um, the, what was that called? The Patriot Cup. They hosted that multiple times in the past. Um, you know, the Dallas Cowboys indoor facility has hosted the Dallas Rattlers, uh, was their home, and they uh, were going to host a PLL event this past summer before they had to nix uh, their entire plans and go with a bubble. So um, that is something I think that would be viable. Uh, but again, I don't think we're going to be in a bubble. Um, if we're in a bubble, that's just stupid because and, – and, and again, to even – um, you know, make plans. Um, and I, I obviously there's a big tournament. You have to make plans, um, you know, at least one month in advance. But I think to be talking about this and whatnot now, um, in March, what is it, March 8th, when I'm recording this, a bit too early to be kind of worrying about that. Um, we still have, for many teams, an entire season in front of us. Um, the Mac just got underway last week. UMass, you know, God bless them, still has not played a game. Um, will play this weekend. Um, can't remember who's on the schedule this weekend, but they will play this weekend. Uh, excited to see them play. So we do have um, teams still getting underway um, and a season not even fully under our feet yet. Um, but obviously the NCAA tournament, um, you know, as far as momentum and things are going right now, um, is probably going to look normal, 100% normal. Um, you know, there might be, at Hofstra or at Notre Dame, there might be some restrictions um, in terms of fan limits. Um, I think New York is a little more tighter on the restrictions. Um, and I'm not really sure what Indiana does. They, they flip-flop all the time. Um, of, of what they're doing, but uh, from, from what I've gathered, um, so not exactly sure what that what the quarterfinals would entail, um, in terms of fan limits and things like that. But as of right now, I mean, we're gonna be one hundred percent, you know, back to normal by May, and um. I mean, that, that's the way things are looking. That's the outlook. Is that definitive? No. No, it's not. Nothing is definitive. But from the way things are looking, we could very well be packed stadium, no mask, no restrictions, no anything, on, on Memorial Day weekend, celebrating the NCAA Men's Lacrosse National title game. That is a great, great sign. It's a great feeling. Moving on to uh, a more fun and more recent topic here. Previewing the games coming up this midweek slate. And uh, we start on Wednesday where we have a uh, pretty big game against uh, Duke and High Point. Uh, Duke comes into this one 6 nothing off the heels of a uh, pretty solid win over Richmond. Uh, Mike Adler, 15 saves in that game. A really, really good game 
for him. He's been playing some unbelievable lacrosse thus far, um, as has the uh, really the entire uh, Duke defense. Um, they have not allowed double-digit points since the second game of the season against Robert Morris, where they allowed 12. Against Denver, they allowed 10. Um, and, and yes, Mercer, Towson, Air Force, Richmond are different levels of competition than Denver. I understand that. And RMU was their second game of the season. That is, uh, both of those things are warranted. Um, but Duke has not allowed a double-digit uh, output from an opponent since February 7th. That's an entire month. Um, and actually, their game against Richmond was on the 7th. So for over a month now, they have not allowed double-digit di- uh, double goals. Um, high point, however, you know, we've seen them play some very, very good lacrosse here. Um, 21 to 15 over Robert Morris. Um, and then they lose that 15, uh, 17 to 15 game at Carolina. Uh, they get blown out by Carolina the next time they face them, like a week and a half later, 27 to 12. Uh, they lost to Virginia midweek last week, 12 to 11. Um, and you no, know, they're coming off that one, and, and I would imagine. Even though you come out of there with a loss, you've got to be feeling good um, with yourselves that you were able to hold Virginia, um, you know, hold their feet to the fire, and they were able to run with them for the entirety of the game. Essentially, uh, Virginia did pull away a bit, and the Panthers had to come back. Um, but the fact that they were able to run with them has got to be a good sign and something that, you know, um, you know, Coach Tolby and his staff have got to be excited about coming into Duke. And we know High Point has beaten Duke in the past. They did so in 2019. And they did so there with A, fantastic goalie play, and B, uh, you had that duo there with Ashley Nolting and um, Chris Young. Went off, absolutely. Um, this year, you've got Nolting, Rogers, Maya, M- Maya, and then Dalton Solver has also been um, a pretty good um, option there, as well as Hunter Vines and Devin Buckshot, uh, who haven't gotten as much production this year as they did a year ago. So this is a good... High point team. They may be one and three, but this is a good high point team. And, you know, do I think they will go wire to wire against Duke the way they did against Carolina in their second game of the season and against Virginia a week ago? No, it's possible. It's certainly possible. Um, No, and no, we've seen. Antonio Arcona played very well in cage. Parker Green got the start against Virginia, um, his first start of the season, and he played good in that one. Um, so I, I am interested to see who they start in cage because 
you know, outside of the goalie position, though defense has not been the best this season, um, they certainly have played, uh, have had some good stretches. Uh, they certainly did against Carolina, um, have some really good stretches as well as against Virginia. So we know they can be a good team defensively. Um, you know, and, and outside of the goalie position, we just need to see it more consistently. Um, and they were a fantastic defensive team in the opener <laughs> against RMU, obviously. Um, now, the, 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 the one thing for High Point that I want to watch is, and, you know, this is something that I think people can either, either overreact to or underreact to. I am more on the side of underreact, um, but Asher Nolting has 31 turnovers this season. 23 points, 8 goals, 15 assists, 31 turnovers. 31. That's not good. And did all of those result in the opponent going down on the other end and scoring? Not necessarily, but against a juggernaut Duke team, I don't think... um, they are going to uh, take lightly getting the ball back, um, to say the least. So that is something that I think needs to be – he needs to button up a little bit more on that in that aspect of his game. Obviously, the best player on their team. Um, and then, again, like we've seen all, all year, Kevin Rogers, Brandon Maia, got to get more involved as well. Um, they're also with Nolting um, as well as Solver and Vines, um, and in this offense, when they get clicking, um, they are one of the most fun teams to watch in the country. On the Duke side, we mentioned Mike Adler and the uh, amazing stretch that he's on right now. Uh, we mentioned the Duke defense um, and, and, and the run that they're on. Um, but all talk, obviously, coming into the season was on the offense. And uh, Michael Salas, who has 13 goals, 19 assists, 32 points up to this point in the season uh, through six games. Uh, we've seen Joe Robertson come back into form. Um, obviously, was out last year with that ACL injury, um, and he's back now. Uh, 20 points for him. Uh, he had a 10-point outing, outing um, two weeks ago. Um, and so he's been very, very good for this offense. Uh, Nakai Montgomery, Brennan O'Neill, uh, Owen Caputo have also been there. Uh, Dyson Williams has not been as effective as he was last season, but you have Michael Sowers, you, you have all these dudes on your team now that you didn't last season, so not as much room for everybody to get theirs um, in a sense. So, uh, you know, we know this, this is a juggernaut of a Duke team. And, uh, you, you know, they will find a way to win any way they know how. Um, you know, I've got to think they win this one. How much? I don't know. Um, can High Point keep it close? I would hope so, when I, and I want to see a close game. Um, I, I, I'm just not 100% sure 
what um, what we're gonna see, you know, out of both of these teams. Um, at, at the faceoff dot, I do want to mention this before we move on to the next one. At the faceoff dot, Jake Nasso, Jordan Gendo, Dan O'Connell have all gotten some runs for Duke. O'Connell not played a ton. Gendo has been pretty bad um, when he's gotten in five for nineteen. Jake Nasso, uh, the freshman, eighty for one twenty-five, sixty-four percent. Dude's been fantastic. Um, so I, I think they definitely have the edge there uh, for uh, in this contest. High point: Davis Saint Pierre, eighteen of fifty-two. You also have uh, Colin Hoban, eighteen of thirty-five. That's uh, 35 and 51% there. I think they would probably, will probably use both guys in this contest. Uh, but, you know, if we've learned anything from, you know, Duke midweek against High Point, um, you know, we should expect a, a pretty decent one. And, uh, you know, will it be like the Carolina the first time around or the Virginia game the first time around? I don't know. I hope so. I do want to see a good game, though. Moving on here. Virginia and North Carolina. The Tall Heels come in six and zero. Oh. The Cavaliers five and one with uh, the one the the lone loss on the season being a twenty to ten loss against Syracuse. Now they've bounced back, beat High Point twelve eleven, dominated Air Force twenty to four. And this is a game that is going to be defined as a writing contest, um, a writing clinic. Both of these teams ride extremely, extremely hard. We've seen Carolina do it all year. We've seen Virginia do it for the past three years now. They ride harder than any team in the country on a consistent basis. The Tar Heels have picked that up as well. And uh, when you look at not only how deep their offense goes with Chris Gray, Tanner Cook, Nikki Solomon, William Perry, Justin Anderson, Jacob Kelly, Brian Cameron, Alex Trippi, all having double-digit points, at this point in the season, all of those guys that I just named have double-digit points. Gray with 40, 24 goals, 16 assists. Tanner Cook with 28, as well as Nikki Solomon with 28. Uh, that secondary there. Oh, excuse me. Tanner Cook with 18, Nikki Solomon with 17. I was looking at the shot column there, not the point column. Uh Chris Gray does have 40 points. He's the man. He runs the show. Tanner Cook, Nikki Solomon, William Perry kind of filling the gaps there on that offense. And I think the way we've seen this offense kind of um, come together this season, we've seen them share the sugar more, uh, which I, I think does not bode well for um, this Virginia defense that has been very good at times, but then we saw against Syracuse had some times where they fell apart. 
um, in a sense. Now, for Virginia, offensively, they're also a very deep offensive team. I do think they do need to get more diversity in scoring a bit. You have Connor Schellenberger and Peyton Cormier with 27 and 21 points. Trey Bertrand with 19. Matt Moore with 18. I want to see Laviano and Garno get some more action in there. Maybe Xander Dixon. Uh, Docs Aiken only has three goals this season. Um, and obviously, Laviano and Aiken didn't play like right away um, that first game. And I believe, because uh, Laviano had some uh, injury early in the season um, that he dealt with. So, uh, certainly, his production's been a little decreased this year. Uh, Doc's Aiken, obviously, coming back after playing football um, in the fall, um, well, practice in football uh, in the fall. They did not play, but coming back in after being with Villanova football, um, he's working his way back. I think by year's end, this Virginia offense is going to be pretty, you know, full throttle front, you know, top to bottom, uh, what, like what we've seen from Carolina, but we got to see some more, um, some more of that this season, um, from the Cavaliers offense, just better overall depth of scoring, uh, but no, has not hurt them much in the past. Um, and I've mentioned before, I do think that Syracuse game was pretty much a fluke. Now, we mentioned um, offense here. Both have some fantastic offenses. We mentioned the riding game. Both teams ride extremely hard. I think both defenses have improved um, thus far this season, um, and we'll see how they handle um, each opposing offense um, this, you know, coming up on Thursday, um, you know, Headlining or anchoring the uh, their respective defense, you have Colin Craig um, in cage for Carolina, and then we've seen Alex Road and Bobby Gavin play for Virginia. Uh, both have played uh, fairly well. Now, one of the biggest outside of the riding game, one of the biggest things that will be talked about coming into this game. Um, or is talked about coming into this game, is the battle at the faceoff dot. Uh, P.D. LaSala, uh, 63% on the year, has been the main guy for Virginia. Uh, he's taken 100, uh, 127, 180. For Carolina, it's been more of a... Um, it's been more of a two-man system. A face-off by committee, if you will. That's what I was looking for. By committee. Andrew Tillyu and Zach Tucci um, have been outstanding. Andrew Tillyu has taken sixty, has taken 102 draws, 166. Tucci has taken 79 and 155. That's 65 and 70% respectively. Um, I think, like, honestly... And we saw um, Varello and Fop take it to La Sala um, in Syracuse. Like that's the one thing that frightens me. If 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 you're a Virginia fan, 
I think the one thing that frightens you out of that Syracuse game, um, which I mentioned before, I think is a fluke. But if you're going to take anything from that game and and, and, and implement it going forward um, in terms of your thinking heading into a game, I think the fact that Lasala, me, the fact that Varello and Fop just dominated at the dot um, is one thing that would scare you as a Virginia fan. Especially coming into this game, another ACC opponent with a two-headed monster waiting for you at the face-off dot. I think Carolina, you know, I love Petey Lasala. He did some amazing things back in 2019. He's been solid all year outside of that one game. But if we're looking at what Carolina's done, you've got to give a ton of credit to this 6-0 start to tell you and to Tucci. They, they deserve a wealth of respect, a wealth of praise for what they've done this year. So I think this is going to be a game. Obviously, everyone's going to be tuned into it. Um, ACC Network, I believe, on Thursday. Um, going to be an exciting one. A lot of good battles, a lot of good games games within the game that we can uh, look at and analyze in that one. Last game to preview here, and then we, we will get out of here. Syracuse and Stony Brook, they are facing off on Friday. Um, nope. I, I, I obviously think Syracuse is going to win this game. I think they're the better team overall. Um, Syracuse comes in two to one, while Stony Brook is two and two. Uh, Syracuse obviously had that loss against Army, and they've bounced back pretty strong, uh, beating Virginia, and then um, having to you know, hold off Vermont over the weekend. Um, you know, I, I I do think if you are um, if you're a Stony Brook fan, you do look at what a fellow America East team in Vermont did to Stony Brook. And I think you kind of have to smile a bit and say, okay, like there's a chance. Um, Stony Brook's coming off of two straight losses, uh, lost 20-17 to 17 against rival Hofstra, and then 13-12, to 12, um, believe that. Yeah, that was the four-overtime game against UMBC. The uh, kind of big name for Stony Brook this season, Dylan Palinetti, uh, Maryland transfer, uh, didn't play a uh, single minute last year as a freshman at Maryland, uh, comes over to Stony Brook and has been fantastic for them. 20 points uh, on the year, 6 assists, 14 goals. Corey Vanjohoven and Tom Hahn have also had some solid, uh, uh, you know, have double-digit points thus far, uh, 15, 13, and then Mike McCannell has 14, uh, excuse me, has 12 on the season. Well, Matt Anderson and Matt DeMoe have 10. So the Stony Brook offense we've seen kind of get into rhythms this year and be pretty productive. Um, no, I think, and we saw that with Vermont over the weekend when they were able to get hot, um, 
know, they were able to run with Syracuse. They were able to consistently answer Syracuse. Again, I think Syracuse wins this game, but I think that's got to scare you um, if you're a Syracuse fan. Seeing what Fomont did, seeing a similar team in Stony Brook, uh, certainly America East team also, um, coming in on Friday, that's got to scare you a bit and say, okay, well, they've, you know, they got to button up in some areas um, if they want to win this one like they should be able to, which is you know, a pretty big win. For the Orange, uh, obviously Stephen Rafis has been having an unbelievable season. Uh, seven goals, ten assists. Owen Hiltz, the freshman uh, phenom, has been playing amazing. Tucker Dordovic, Brendan Curry, Chase Scanlon. I mean, I could go on and on and on about this offense, this midfield, what they've been able to do this season. And it, it is very, very uh, telling you know, how good the Syracuse team is. Um, you know, Drake Porter and Cage has been the anchor to that defense, which I think, and to be honest with you, outside of outside of him, like, remove him, I think a lot of the Syracuse defense probably isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. Like, Brett Kennedy's good. Mitch Wyckoff, I, I liked what he did over the weekend. But, like, they're just not as consistent, you know, at close as they need to be. Um, you know, certainly that should change, and they should get into some kind of rhythm here soon. But uh, Drake Porter has time and time again bailed out this defense this season. And, you no, know, he had a tough start. Like, he had a tough start. Like, I'd, you know, I'd people tell me, like, yo, like, they need to bench the kid after Army. Um, he's bounced back 60% save percentage, 15 saves against Virginia, 21 against Vermont, 62% save percentage there. So he's bounced back after a, uh, a piss poor, uh, well not piss poor, but no, a, a down game against Army, um, in the opener. He's bounced back and I think certainly, um, no, it is going to continue that here against Stony Brook. Uh, Jacob Fopp, Danny Varello just mentioned. Um, no, solid one-two punch there at the faceoff dot. Um, no, Fopp's been the main guy, but Varello has also uh, seen some action there. Um, Stony Brook has struggled a bit in the faceoff dot uh, this year. Renz Conlin came over last year as a transfer from Franklin Pierce, I believe, and uh, was really solid, really consistent for them. Has not been that this year thus far. Um, you know, hasn't been able to get much of a groove. Austin, uh, I'm going to butcher this last name, uh, Deskowitz, uh, Deskowitz uh, has you know, 58% there, 32 uh, for 55 as the secondary guy. So we'll be interested to see that face-off battle there. Um, I think Syracuse should win it. Um, and I think Syracuse should win this game. Um, you know, they do have the more talented roster top to bottom, but, um, you know, again, um, Vermont ran with them, um, and I think Vermont has a better defense than Stony Brook, certainly. Um, and Stony Brook, you know, that's the biggest question for me coming in the season was how big, how much of a step can this defense take? 
I think we've seen some small baby steps. Um, I, th- I think we'll probably see some more bigger steps as we get into America East play. Um, but certainly going to be interesting, uh, especially against a top-tier opponent uh, in Syracuse as to how they play on both ends. But you know, as I said, Syracuse is the more talented team, should win this ball game. That is it for today's episode. As always, thank you all for listening. Y'all can find us at lacrossebucket.com on social media, at lacrossebucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. My personal Twitter, at Tanner underscore Dimling. Have a great rest of the week, and we will talk to y'all on Thursday. I will probably record that one. Well, yeah, podcast will come out on Friday this week because I'm going to record that after the uh, Virginia-UNC game. So we'll see y'all on Friday morning.